Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Buckeyes of Broadcast. I'm your host, Ryan Vonderhaar. Uh, this week, we're going to be taking a different look at kind of what our normal, whatever that means, episodes are here on the Buckeyes of Broadcast feed. Uh, with that, we're here in October, right? We're c- getting a couple weeks into October when this episode comes out. Uh, we're definitely going to be encroaching on Halloween, the holiday here in the U.S. And with that, the idea has been brought up in a way capitalized on the season here in Ohio. So uh, as you're walking outside, football's back, which is very exciting uh, for, for all, all you students here on campus. I know everybody's very excited about it. The leaves are changing. Um, you know, the, the season's rolling, as it were. And with that, we wanted to get into or to show off maybe a little bit of different content here on the podcast feed. So to start off, I'd love to introduce our guest. Joining me today on the Buckeyes of Broadcast is Tiffany Pierscala and hey. Dr. Elizabeth Angerman. Hello. 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 Tiffany, if you'd go first, if you would just introduce yourself for the folks at home and kind of talk about your role here at Ohio State. Yeah, I would love to. So my name's Tiffany, and I'm an education abroad specialist here at the Office of International Affairs. I like to take care of a, a handful of humanities programs led by our great faculty here at Ohio State, but I also take care of some of the software that we use through the applications. I'm really excited about this series. I love hearing people tell their stories, so I'm really excited about this. Terrific. And then Dr. Elizabeth Angerman, why don't you just introduce yourself for the folks at home? Sure. Hi. So I am also a program specialist like Tiffany in education abroad, and I also work with a number of different types of programs. I preside over most of the exchange programs, have some critical language programs. So I work on a whole variety in my portfolio, but that's my day job. I also like to moonlight as a lecturer in the Slavic department. So that's part of what comes into I guess the the background of this idea is that I am trained at least in part as a folklorist. I've spent most of my adult life studying narratives in general, films too, and folklore just kind of underpinning all of it. So, you know, when Tiffany and I were trying to think of ways that we could bring the international to campus, we really liked the idea of opening it up to narratives and to collecting stories from around the world. I think that very generally speaking, stories give us a nice foothold into another culture. They give us a great access point to really start to look at some of the values or the anxieties that another culture has. And I am particularly interested in monsters. That's why we're (laughs) going to start off with the spooky season here in October and just look at um, a couple of my favorite monsters as well as some new ones to me and, and really just get into, I think, the greater, the greater feel of October here with some scary stories. And that's a terrific intro for kind of what we're going to be talking a little bit more about. I want to say first, for those of you listening, you know, Tiff and Dr. Angerman both work with myself and Charlie as a part of the larger education abroad team within the Office of International Affairs. Now, what that means is, you know, whenever you are on the search for maybe what you're 
correct or perfect program fit is. You know, as we are hopefully starting to round the corner on what this COVID season is and travel begins to open up around the world, uh, as you are doing your own research on different types of programs or what sorts of experiences you're looking to get involved with, TIFF and Dr. Engerman are also terrific contacts within Education Abroad. And I would definitely recommend, you know, if, if anything they share within this podcast or any of the content that they are on with us for, uh, if anything that they're sharing strikes a chord with you, I would highly recommend reaching out to them with any questions you have, not, not just about the podcast, but also you know the, within our greater realm of education abroad. And their contact information will definitely be listed in the episode notes. So with that said today, the episode is going to be looking a little bit different. I'm going to be signing off here soon, and we're actually going to be turning it over uh, to Dr. Angerman and Tiffany to carry on with the remainder of the episode. But I would love if, it, you know, before we get into kind of the main body of the content, I would love, Dr. Engerman, if you could just give us a little bit of a synopsis of what the, the folks can look forward to in the rest of this episode. Sure. Well, you know, we, as I mentioned, we are sure hoping to uh, collect some stories from around the world from faculty and staff and even occasionally some students. And so we're, we're leading off with a, an amazing professor out of the Department of East Asian Languages and Literatures. He actually is one of our faculty um, who leads the program through Education Abroad. So Global May China for anybody who wants to travel with Professor Bender. And he's going to introduce us to a really unique villain in um, Chinese folklore, Cannibal Grandmother. And it is it's a pretty spooky story. Tiffany, do you want to weigh in here at all here and tell us a little bit more about Professor Bender and or Cannibal Grandmother? Oh man. Okay. So I am actually the coordinator for Dr. Bender's program and I've been working with him for about four or five years on it. And the program itself has run about nine years and it is so cool. It's such a unique program. This is absolutely a program that I would suggest to anybody who has never thought about going to China before and is looking for an experience there, or even people who are like myself, like really into East Asian cultures. I got my master's in East Asian studies. I think it's a fascinating program for people who are really big into that area as well. So a little bit of everything. Dr. Bender, I think since he's not here, I can say this is just one of the kindest, coolest professors to travel with. He's such a treat. And he's just this endless well of knowledge. It's just like such a cool person to really pick his brain about the area, specifically this area of China too, and the people that are there. Well, I mean, I think I'm as excited as anybody. I'm ready for a little bit of spooky season. Whoa! And uh, to grab some apple cider, uh, potentially, and get cozy and listen to what I think is going to be just a terrific episode here on the Buckeyes of Broadcast. So with that, I turn it over to you two. Uh, I'm excited to listen, and thank you for uh, bringing this content onto our feed. So today, I'm super excited to have Professor Mark Bender with us to tell us a story appropriate for October. And Dr. Bender, what do we have today? Uh, we've got a story from an ethnic minority group in Southwest China. This group is called the Norsu people, and they're part of a larger ethnic group of about 9 million called the Yi people, uh, mostly live in Southwest China. 
Okay. The, the story that I'm going to read you is called Cannibal Grandmother. Ooh. And this is a uh, traditional tale told uh, in Nosu uh, communities all throughout southern uh, Sichuan province and in the Yunnan province. And uh, the Nosu people, they're uh, basically a mountain people, a forest people, um, about 2 million Nosu people. And they raise goats, pigs, cows, chickens, and occasional yak. Uh, for meat, uh, felt, and leather, and also raise uh, buckwheat and oats and potatoes. Uh, that's their vegetable food sources. Um, social relations are based on patrilineal clans, okay. and bloodlines are of vital importance in all social interaction. Norsu society tends to be conservative and interdirected, and many customs reflect strict adherence to social protocol. Traditional beliefs include nature spirits and ghosts. Among the Norsu ritual specialists is a type of shaman called Sunni, who deals specifically with ghosts. Interesting. Often when in a trance state. Beliefs about ghosts are many, and there are many types of ghosts. Mm -hmm. In some cases, as in the following story, it is believed that one dimension of a person can be transformed into a ghost while still in the form of a living human. Ooh, that is very unsettling. This uh, story was actually told by my friend and colleague, Aku Wuwu, uh, who's a professor at uh, Southwest uh, Minzu University and a very well-known uh, poet in China. And this was uh, translated uh, from his oral e version, Norsu language version. And this was uh, translated uh, with the help of Jepa Ai, a, a teacher there at the university, and myself. So I'm going to read you a English rendering of the story. We're also going to be hearing a portion of the story told in Norsu, uh, Northern E dialect by uh, Professor Aku Wuwu. I love this. So Theoretically, interested students could go with you to meet the cannibal grandmother. Uh, that's happened before. We actually have had, well, uh, we, we've met some of the shamans, okay, uh, on some mm -hmm. of our trips. Some of the shamans have actually, um, you know, told the fortunes of uh, some of our students, and they were really, really dead on, shockingly. Wow. So. I don't know that we have any other programs that can promise cannibal grandmothers and shamans and fortune telling. So I think you've cornered that market. So cool. Yeah, okay. of course, you know, of course, a lot of the, the students, the E students who are on the program from the university who are learning English, many of them can tell their own versions of cannibal grandmother that they heard right. from their own grandmothers or parents. That is so cool. Oh my goodness, this is great. All right, well, let's, let's, let's hear it. I need to hear it. Okay, so um, I'm gonna begin this. Uh, this is the English translation of this uh, version of Cannibal Grandmother told by Aku Wuwu. Long ago, there was an age when all the living things on earth could speak. There was a family with three children, two elder daughters and a little son. They led a happy life in a mountain village. One day, the son became terribly ill. The father invited a famous Sunni from another village to cure him. 
the Sunni sat in the guest's place and began his doctoring. Then he stood up, continuing to doctor. At the very moment when his guardian God was coming into him, he passed gas with a z sound. Hearing the sound, the two little sisters standing by the millstone, grinding away, couldn't help but burst into laughter. The Sunni became very angry when he found that the sisters were laughing at him. After the doctoring was done, he reported the result to the father secretly. Your boy's illness was caused by none other than the ghosts that were transformed from your two daughters. You'd better split your daughters from the family and rid your home of them. Otherwise, your little boy won't recover. He then told the father how to get rid of them. Early the next morning, the father woke the sisters and said, my daughters were going to pick wild greens in the mountains today. So the two little girls followed their father and headed into the mountains. When they came to a place where a lot of wild greens grew, the older sister asked, Dad, is it okay to pick here? No, dear, the wild greens that grow on the top of the mountain are the best. My dear daughters, I'm too old to climb anymore. I'll sit and wait for you here. Go and pick the wild greens at the top of the mountain. The sisters followed his instructions and kept on climbing. After climbing for some time, they stopped and turned around. Dad, now can we kick, pick the wild greens here? The father answered, no, keep climbing. So they climbed further and then turned around again and asked, Dad, can we pick them here now? No, not yet. What the poor sisters didn't know was that this was a trick of the Sunnis. The father who answered each time was a tree trunk bewitched by the Sunni, covered by the father's cloak and turban. Finally, they went so far that they could no longer hear any answers from the father, nor could they see his likeness. Night fell and they met Suchuama. She said, poor little girls, since it's so dark now, why don't you come and stay at my home? The two little girls had no choice but to follow her. When they got to Suchuama's home, she said, you two must be very tired. Come and go to bed early. The one who has fleas must sleep behind me. The one without fleas must sleep in front of me. The clever elder sister slipped a handful of oat seeds into her pocket. When Suchuama asked them to shake their cloaks over the fireplace, the elder sister did so. The seeds in her pocket fell into the fire and crackled. But when it was the younger sister's turn, nothing happened. So Suchuama thought the elder one had fleas and asked her to sleep behind her. At midnight, the elder sister heard Suchuama grinding her teeth. Alerted, she woke up her younger sister. 
and they were about to escape. Sutra Ama awoke up and said, what are you doing? Ama, I want to go and have a look outside. Go ahead if you really want to. You know what that really means. <laughs> but I'm afraid of the darkness outside. I need my sister's company. So Suchu Ama tied a string to the girl's big toe and holding the other end of the string, let the girls out. As soon as the sisters got out of the house, they tied the string to a small tree and ran away. Suchu Ama waited for a long time, but the sisters didn't return. She tugged on the string, but it was too hard to pull in. When she ran out of the house and saw nothing except the small tree, she became extremely angry. She followed their tracks until dusk when she found the girl sitting in a big tree. Suchu Ama tried to climb the tree several times, but failed because the trunk was so slippery and thick. Ama, Ama, if you can't climb up, why don't you go and get some cow dung to slather on the trunk? It may help. Mm -hmm. Suchu Ama did what they said, but the trunk became even more slippery to climb. Ama, Ama, if it's still hard for you to climb, try and slather some lard on the trunk. Suchu Ama did so, but the same thing happened. Ama, Ama, Please go borrow a spear from my maternal uncle. Since you really can't climb up here, as a treat for you, we'll pick out our boogers. <laughs> when she heard the word booger, to her a delicious food, she completely forgot how the girls had fooled her. Suchu Ama ran and borrowed a spear from their uncle, warning them before she handed over the spear. You two little girls, don't play any more tricks on me. If you kill me with this spear, I swear my blood will turn into rivers, my flesh will turn into cliffs, my hair will turn into forests, my nails will turn into thorns, and my sinews and muscle will turn into snakes, which will surround you so you can never return home. Well, we won't kill you, but please give us the spear to dig out your boogers or you'll never know how tasty they are. When they got the spear, the girls dug out their boogers and smeared them on the tip of the spear. The moment Suchu Ama eagerly opened her mouth, they drove the spear inside with all their strength. Suchu Ama died on the spot. As Suchu Ama had predicted, her blood turned into rivers, her flesh turned into cliffs, her hair turned into forests, and her sinews and muscles turned into snakes. Facing all this, the sisters became frightened and worried. Suddenly, they saw a prey animal running toward them. They cried, pray, pray, please come and help us down. If you do that, will marry you. But the prey animal paid no attention to what they said, running away and crying. How can I have time to help you when the hunting dog is chasing me? 
Then a hunting dog ran up from the distance. So the sisters cried, hunting dog, hunting dog, if you rescue me, we will be your wives. The hunting dog looked at them and then ran off saying, how can I have time when I'm chasing my prey? The sisters were very disappointed and helpless. Then they saw a hunter running from the same direction from which the prey and the hunting dog had come. Hunter, hunter, please help us down. If you rescue us, we promise to marry you. The hunter glanced up and said breathlessly, if I can catch my prey, I'll come back and rescue you. But if I can't catch my prey, I won't be able to. Anyhow, it gave the sisters hope. So the poor sisters kept praying, successfully hunt the prey, successfully hunt the prey, successfully hunt the prey. Luckily, the hunter actually caught the prey animal, came back and helped them down from the tree. The sisters didn't want to go back on their word, but it was hard for them to choose between the hunter and the hunting dog for their husbands. The elder sister, who was very clever, said that she wanted to get married with a black house with a tile roof, which indicated a man. But the younger sister, who was vain, said she wanted to marry a white house made of bamboo, though she didn't realize this meant a dog. Thus, the elder sister married the hunter, and her younger sister married the hunting dog. One day, a few months later, when the hunter went hunting with the hunting dog, the younger sister gave birth to a litter of puppies. The sisters were so astonished that they burned the puppies to death in the fire and ran away. When the hunter and hunting dog came back, they found the dead puppies, which made the hunting dog very angry. The hunting dog followed the girl's tracks, trying to catch them. When the hunting dog had almost caught up with the sisters, they happened to meet a wild boar. Please help us, wild boar. A hunting dog is chasing us. We are in great danger. The kind wild boar quickly dug a hole in the ground. As they hid in the hole, the boar covered it with a stone slab. In their haste, a corner of the young sister's skirt had caught under the stone slab. When the hunting dog got to where the girls were hidden, he immediately saw the skirt corner and barked crazily as he smelled it. The clever elder sister drew out a needle and pricked the dog's nose. This hurt the dog and he ran off howling in pain. The sisters then crawled out of the hole, thanked the kind wild boar, and ran away. The sisters walked for seven days and seven nights. One day they came across an old woman who was herding pigs. The old woman asked the girls to look for fleas on her head. While the elder sister was searching, she found a birthmark on the old woman's head. She remembered that in the past, she used to search for fleas on her mother's head and told this to the old woman. The old woman then told of how she once had two daughters 
who used to search her head for fleas. This was a real coincidence and they all felt strange, but the old lady wouldn't admit that she was their mother. So the elder sister said, Ama, if you don't believe us, please go home and check my things. You'll find a bamboo mouth harp behind the millstone and a part of my broken comb is in the bamboo basket that hangs next to another bamboo basket holding my wooden soup spoon. The old woman still doubted what she was told, but she went home and found the things were right in the places that the girl had said. She then staggered toward her daughters and hugged them, crying sorrowfully, telling them the terrible news that soon after they left, their little brother had died of illness, though their father was still alive. Once the father heard the news, he acknowledged the two girls as his daughters with tears in his eyes. Wow. That's the end of the story. Wow. I was unprepared for the earthiness of this story. I enjoy this. <laughs> it's rough being a dog, though. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's right up there with some of the, you know, things from uh, Grimm's fairy tales that got uh, boltlerized over the years. Yes, yes. Now, and and kind of on that that same in that same vein, um, can you tell us, Professor Bender, like who would be that target audience for this sort of story? Would it have been, you know, for other adults? Is it aimed at children? Is it just sort of a general story that we, you know, all audiences? Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what, why, what are the mechanics of the story? Who, who would be telling it and to whom? Well, I think mostly it would, it was probably a sort of thing that uh, uh, older people would tell uh, children. Um, there's a lot of things in there uh, which sort of are templates for dealing with uh, difficulty in life, um, having anxiety about certain things and finding ways out of bad situations. Um, so in that sense, it's a kind of a inspirational in some ways, but it's also very uh, compelling. I mean, the imagery is very, very uh, uh, striking. Um, I think you'll probably never forget, you know, some of those images and no. that's, that, that's what these stories do. You know, they're imprinting uh, these situations uh, in people's minds. But I think that uh, uh, a lot of it, there's a lot of other uh, sorts of traditional stories in Nosu society, which prepares uh, people, especially young women, uh, for things that will happen in their lives. There's uh, these bridal laments that they uh, sing uh, before mm -hmm. um, a, a, a girl is married about the kind of, uh, you know, talking about heroines who face all sorts of terrible difficulties. Uh, some of them turn out well, some of them don't, but uh, uh, it's reflective, I think, of the kind of anxieties uh, um, that are in society. I mean, there's certain things in Norse society, traditional society, of course, a lot of things have changed uh, in recent years, but uh, for instance, this whole uh, thing with uh, certain bodily functions, uh, it's a very sensitive sort of issue 
Um, and it's a, a tremendous loss of a face if, if you would uh, say pass gas, you know, and especially as a young woman in a social situation. I mean, that, that's actually, I've heard instances where that uh, has ended in badly in suicides because of uh, the oh loss goodness. of face over this kind of thing. Oh, so wow. there's, uh, um, it, so there's a lot of things in the story that I think sort of, uh, sort of, are an outlet or an expression of these sort of anxieties, social anxieties, uh, because after all, um, a lot of these uh, traditional societies, especially in this part of the world, there's a lot of emphasis on role and hierarchy and uh, proper behavior. And, and so there's a lot of social pressure um, on those things. And so this is one way that uh, some of these issues maybe sort of come out uh, in an entertaining fashion. Yeah. Um, Certainly. Rather striking way. Right. And I think that that kind of anticipates the next question that we wanted to ask, which is why a story like this would still have traction. You mentioned that some of the students that are there at the university that pair with um, our study abroad students have versions of their own of cannibal grandmothers. So clearly this is very much still in circulation. Um, and I wondered if you could talk a little bit more um, either about that continued traction or if you're aware of them, um, any salient differences. So any of those variations and what you might, you know, make of those differences. Um, th this idea of these uh, cannibal crones is um, fairly common uh, throughout uh, East Asia. Um, other ethnic groups in China uh, have uh, stories of uh, these, you know, mountain cannibal uh, crones. Uh, certainly, there's all sorts of these stories in Japan mm -hmm. uh, uh, that uh, Professor Noriko Rader, uh, who graduated from OSU and teaches at uh, Miami, okay. um, she's written whole books on that kind of uh, thing. Interesting. Uh, so, so this uh, notion of, you know, going into the forest and uh, confronting these crones, it's, you know, we have things from the Grimm brothers, you know, Hansel and Gretel, it's, uh, you know, somewhat similar. Um, I, I remember very clearly uh, uh, in the uh, early 1980s, uh, going through one of the uh, E areas down in Northwest Yunnan, and uh, we were trying to, on this bike ride, uh, some you know, Joseph Rock, this explorer's uh, homestead, he'd been there in the 30s and 40s, uh, collecting oral uh, traditions and rituals. And we saw these two little girls uh, standing by the road, and we just talked to them for a minute, and they were herding sheep. And uh, mm -hmm. um, we asked them, do you ever go up in the mountain? They say, no, no, that's where the ghosts live. So they, they've been hearing, you know, stories about this, you know, this cautionary tales, you know, to stay away from certain situations or what have you. And I think today that, uh, you know, younger people among the Norsu, a lot of them are venturing into urban areas now. Uh, mm -hmm. Many of them uh, have become uh, migrant you know, workers uh, working in cities far away and encountering all sorts of difficulties and challenges, uh, which, you know, they, they tend to overcome. And uh, um, but that, you know, that's part of life. Um, and but stories like this, I think, still have some resonance uh, with the uh, kind of, uh, you know, difficulties that, you know, people face in life. And they're, they're kind of a, 
preparation, you know, for encountering difficulties and challenges and, and, and the belief that you can overcome these things. As, as the uh, two little girls, you know, they ultimately overcame the challenges uh, in the stories and using you know, their wits uh, to outwit uh, the Suchuama. Yeah, and I was listening to this and trying to, to, I mean, outside of the vividness of this story, but listen to like, what are they actually saying to her? They're not outright lying to her. They're not like, we're not going to feed these boogers that we're picking with the spear because they, they did. They just, you know, there was no lie in it, but they actually like ended up killing her. Um, so it's, it's like deceiving without lying because they, they know that this is wrong. Um, and if I like thinking about what they did to the dog, like they didn't, they only poked him with a needle on the nose. They didn't kill the dog. They knew that was wrong. Um, but they knew that they had to do something. So kind of this idea of like where, where their boundaries should be or with people and their society and others that are in the community and outside the community. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, you know, they were using, you know, in the case of the needle, they were using, you know, things that were at hand, you know, having a little sewing kit would be something, you know, sewing and embroidery, that's a big part of uh, Nosu women's uh, culture, uh, making clothes traditionally. Um, that's, that's still happens. There's still, you know, people who know how to make these traditional clothes. But again, you know, it's a, a big movement, you know, toward mass produced clothing, but they have big festivals every year where people show up in these really increasingly elaborate uh, traditional uh, costumes as the economy gets better, the costumes get more or innate. Uh, but, but again, it's, you know, what they had at hand was, you know, was that needle. So it's, that's also an interesting sort of connection to, uh, you know, women's culture. Yeah. And do you think if you were to go to Southwest China and walk around, do you think that this is a story that most people still know or have at least heard of? I've, uh, been in train stations in uh, you know places like Kunming or Chengdu and and talk to some of these young you know migrants coming out yeah. of the mountains on the way to work in cities and just small talk to hey you hear about Suchuama oh yeah yeah man, my grandmother really? used to tell me that story <laughs> yeah yeah and sometimes we'll even we'll even uh, you know give you short renditions of that kind of thing and some of them will say yeah I I, I kind of remember that story yeah it was told in my you know the old people told us that. Um, so it's still a, it's still a well-known uh, story. And it's also uh, stories such as that, there have been a lot of publication of, uh, you know, these folk tales, sometimes in very nicely done volumes that have been uh, uh, collected. And uh, sometimes they are even in E and Chinese language, some of these have been published. Um, so there's a whole nother sort of uh, that sort of thing going on. And um, there's also uh, cell phone culture having to do with Nosu traditional things. Professor Akuwu has all sorts of micro blogs where he, you know, talks about, you know, traditional culture and intersection with uh, contemporary culture and that kind of thing. So there's a uh, new, new context where these uh, traditional things are being expressed uh, today. And speaking of uh, Professor Akuwuwu, who is the director of the Ethnic Language and Culture School in the Southwest Binzu University um, and renowned poet. We do have a little clip of him telling a piece of the story in 
Nuosu. So I'm hoping that we can play it right now so we can all get a little, um, a little taste of how this is actually going to sound so. Yeah, and if, and if you listen to the phrasing, you'll hear the words ama ama in there. And it's the part of the thing where the young girls are, you know, putting these things on uh, the tree uh, to make it more slippery. Okay, so this is like the pinnacle point where they've, they've escaped, but now they're having conversations. So, okay, so I'm going to play a little bit of this then. Sungun that's so yeah, interesting. So maybe you heard you maybe you heard some of the repetition of, of the the word you know ama uh, grandma uh, and that. And why, if I can ask, why do you think that we have this? You re, you reference to like grim fairy tales or some other like more cannibal grandmothers that I think here in the U.S. we're more familiar with, like Hansel and Gretel being like um, convinced to come into the hut and get fattened up. Um, why do we? Why do you think we have? Why is the grandmother the cannibal grandmother here? That, that, that's a really good uh, question. I, I think people like uh, Alan Dundee's uh, folklorist, uh, such as uh, him, who use these kind of psychological approaches to folklore, uh, would have something to say about uh, that sort of thing. Um, but um, I don't really have any particular explanations for this, but I think it's notable that um, these grandmother figures uh, do play these uh, very significant roles on a lot of a lot of the folklore. Yeah. And I think it may have something to do, maybe in some sense, with uh, young people's uh, perception of very, very old people and, you know, mm -hmm. what happens, you know, with people as they develop over time. Um, so it's, uh, um, you know, we come, you know, children, you know, they're, you know, inculcated, you know, or, or trans, you know, they, their minds, you know, develop in various ways, you know, they're encountering every new thing. And this, this notion of uh, aging or, or the older uh, people, I think, may be somewhat difficult to tackle, you know, for children at early ages. Um, so, uh, but again, I think it's also interesting that they uh, are agents for these kinds of uh, uh, instances that, you know, provoke these kind of anxieties. And I think it's, Right. They're, they're very, very compelling that, you know, we, we want to hear these kind of things and some, something there is resonating. What I also um, heard in this story is kind of the, um, the cautionary tale of don't be too greedy. So that when the two girls are talking about which houses they want to marry into, um, you know, when both of them were kind of, they understood that maybe they don't want to marry a dog. Um, but, you know, you see that the, the clever older sister, you know, who is being, um, who's not asking for too much is rewarded um, in marrying the man. And whereas the younger sister who 
is trying to think of like, I want the white house, the bamboo, and, but she doesn't realize it's actually, that's the dog's house. So um, we got a, another cautionary tale about like how we should act. What are the rules to live by here? Right, there's also uh, some interesting things there with these uh, meanings of, uh, you know, the color schemes uh, within a Nosu mm. culture. Uh, traditionally, uh, black has been associated with upper class, a ruling class, and uh, white with the lower class, and also it's the color signifying the uh, world of the dead. So, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's, it's, there's some also some color coding uh, going on there uh, as well. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story. Um, we will definitely share more information about the book. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's been wonderful uh, having this chance. So. Wow, what an amazing story. I was not expecting that to go in the direction that it did. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, and I love that this is a story that people you can just ask people waiting for the train to be like hey have you heard about cannibal grandmother like yes absolutely love it as a matter of fact i have (laughs) (laughs) and And what a wild story it is (laughs) it is so cool to actually have it in the local language too we're so lucky that professor akuwu shared a performance with us um this renowned poet i've made met him in person he's also the most generous person on top of being the director of the ethnic language and culture school of the southwest minzu university in chengdu he's just a generous yeah, person a i know yeah. we are so lucky um no and it really added so much extra texture to the story just to be able to hear a little snippet of what it would sound like locally. I just think that's such a nice additional touch. Absolutely. And uh, if anybody wants to hear more about local folklore, um, the book is Anthology of Chinese Folk and Popular Literature. If you are looking for something written by Victor Mayer or and Mark Bender, um, I totally encourage you to look into it. Um, Man, also, if the other stories are like that one. I mean, you can't right? go wrong with that collection. <laughs> right. Um, there's also a great class here at Ohio State, Chinese 5400, which is traditional performance in China. So if you're really looking into more of these performances um, and folklore, be sure to look into that. You know, and performance, I mean, I. If it's all you got, by all means, you got to read the story. But man, if you can get the extra contours of the performance, that really brings the whole narrative to life. Because none of these were just supposed to be on the paper, right? They were supposed to be part of this performed tradition. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I think getting it as it would have been in the wild is is really, I think, an experience. So if you can, if you can seek that out. That is, I think, just really taking it the extra mile. All right. Well, until next time, 